Hey y'all, this is D-Rock. This is Cam. And this is The, the Heartbeat. Heartbeat. On this week's episode, D-Rock is joined by special guest host Ali Kife to sit down with local historian and YouTuber Dan Sterner and chat about Hartford's history, some of Dan's favorite lost buildings and more. Be sure to check out Dan's YouTube series, which will be linked in the show notes. But first, let's jump into that interview. So, welcome, welcome. Thank you, Dan Sterner, for joining us this evening. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our absolute pleasure. And I'm joined this evening by Ali. It's Ali Kaif. For anyone listening, you might probably thought it was Kip. It's cool. And I'm here with Derek. Really excited about this interview. So, Dan, first question we usually like to ask folks is for your origin story, your background and your connection to Hartford. I was born in Hartford, but I grew up in West Hartford, Wesleyan. I got a history degree there. You know, I went to Hall High School and I actually went on and uh, got a master's in Middle Eastern Studies at the University of Chicago. Oh, wow. And then I came back from there and ended up getting another master's from Trinity in American stuff. Wow. And uh, yeah, so a lot of education, but, <laughs> and then I've worked all over the place, a lot of museums. I worked at the Harry Beecher Stowe Center, the Mark Twain House, the Webb Dean Stevens Museum. So that's uh, you know big interest in history, as you can tell. Yeah. So what brought you back to the Hartford area after college? Was it to go to Trinity? No, just didn't know what else to do. And I was working different things and decided that I was going to switch to American studies and not all those complicated languages to learn and stuff. <laughs> but and I just got interested in local history. I'm interested in so many things, but working at Mark Twain, Webb Dean Stevens, they cover a broad range of history. The Webb Dean Stevens goes back to colonial times and Actually, parts of it relate to colonial revival. So you're getting into the 20th century and then the Mark, the Mark Twain house is with the Gilded Age. But when I was at Trinity, I took a course on Hartford architecture, which was interesting. And the teacher there showed a lot of pictures of old buildings and street scenes of Hartford back in the day. So I just got kind of got interested in trying to figure out exactly what was there and comparing then and now and what things were there maybe in 1860 or in 1900 and how they had changed. And I guess I got really obsessed with that. So I was going over pictures. There's a lot of stuff online, the Connecticut Historical Society, the Hartford History Center. A lot of these places have archives where, you know, a lot of it's available online digitally. So you can just pour through the old pictures and just searching online. The Auction sites have all sorts of postcards from the past. This is sort of a little project I got obsessed with and then putting the pictures in order and saying what buildings were here then and comparing it to the atlases. So it's just a little thing. And then I wanted to maybe write about it. I actually wrote two books. The first one was a guide to historic Hartford, Connecticut. And I, I, it was this company, the History Press, and they had a guide to New Haven, for instance. So I thought well, there's none for Hartford. So maybe I do one for Hartford. But the thing I really wanted to do was the second book, because that was about the lost buildings. I just had become obsessed with all these buildings that were no longer around. So I wanted to get into that a little bit. And that was, you know, almost 10 years ago that I wrote those. And I, I have even more material now than what I had then just through researching over the years. And uh, another thing I, I started to do was to make presentations, you know, on PowerPoint. And when I did the, the books, I, I was able to do a little bit of publicity. I did talks at 
different libraries, like the library in West Hartford, the libraries in Wethersfield and the Jewish Historical Society and places like that. I, at that point, I was just showing a bunch of pictures, but I learned about PowerPoint and making things a little more interesting and, and a little bit easier to do than just showing a sequence of pictures. And so then I actually was doing a lot of talks in recent years, like at the Elmwood Senior Center, I was doing a whole series for them, showing, going through like I do in my videos on YouTube, showing different streets and different times. And it was quite popular. They wanted me to come back. I probably did maybe 12 of those over the years. And, uh, and then I repeated them in some other places. I just, and also I had a course I did, uh, continuing ed course through West Hartford, where it was more of the same kind of stuff. And then the, all the pandemic stuff happened. I did a few zoom talks. I had thought about doing more permanent video form of some of what I was doing, but I'd always kind of held back a little bit. I thought, first of all, if it's just for a single talk, I just use the pictures and I don't worry too much about where they come from. If you're going to put it out on video, you got to think about who has the rights to this picture that if they're copyright is, and I'd always held back. And then also I thought well, if I just put everything online, then, you know, maybe no one wants to even see it in person because it'll just be online. But then I figured, why not? I might as well try it. And so I started doing some videos and I was trying to use pictures that I thought, you know, were clearly in the public domain. Since that time, I've, I've been able to get permissions when it comes to paying for images. That's just not something I'm, I can do because they will charge quite a bit for the uses okay. of image on like a commercial project. And I, but luckily I've been able to find ways to get permission and not necessarily pay a fortune to use or anything really to use these images. And it's good because I can really get in with a series of images and show the changes over time on different blocks of the city. And, and I've, and because I've been working on it for years before, I have a stock of just stuff that I could share. So I don't think I would necessarily run out of videos anytime soon. There's so many topics and areas. Uh, yeah. I spend my days at the old state house and I love your videos because so many of them center around that area of Martin Thanks. Street, Gold Street, Pearl Street, and I've just been really enjoying them. So I think it's awesome that you're putting them out there. Yeah, well, a lot of what I do, yeah, a lot of what I do focuses on downtown because it's just the most documented yeah. in terms of the photograph. And I, and I know people will say, oh, you should do stuff about the South End, the North End, whatever. But and, and I'd like to, too, but uh, a lot of those areas developed a lot later. They were still farmland, a lot of them, in mm -hmm. you know the 19th century. But downtown, you have pictures where you literally can get a picture every few years and really notice fairly minute changes. So that's part of the reason that I focused on downtown. And eventually, I'm going to do one at Mark Twain Nook Farm, because I worked there for on and off for over a decade, probably. And, uh, and Harry Beecher Stowe. So there's just tons of material and I'm approaching it sometimes you know, like this is stuff that I, had you know, done a presentation maybe and prepared before, but now doing it for video, I, I look back into it because now I want to make sure I have sources for everything and all the information and going through Hartford current articles and things like that. And the thing is you find more and more stuff that you didn't even know before and finer details. So there's, it's like. At some point, I have to say, oh, I got to stop now because I have more than I could cover. It sounds like you've got enough for another book now, Dan. I could certainly write more books. I haven't gone in that direction, but it's possible. Yeah, yeah. I do really enjoy your, your YouTube series there. It's mm -hmm. funny, when Ali first approached me with this, I had already been watching your videos, but I didn't put two and two together. Oh, really? that you were the oh. same person whose videos <laughs> I had been watching until... Oh. Like maybe three weeks into I saw to you about this and I was like, oh, wait, I've been watching Dan's videos all this yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, that guy. That guy. I, I was wondering what are 
some of your favorite buildings, historic buildings in Hartford that are still standing? And what are some that you wish were still standing that you're really sad got demolished? I'm sure that list is very long, but. Yeah, for ones that are still standing, it would be all the obvious ones, right? Like the old state house and the, the Mark Twain house, the state capitol. And I'm so glad that so many buildings, even if they didn't save the building, they saved the facade, Sage Allen or the oh. First National Bank or the Goodwin Hotel. Some of those, and it's terrible that they lost the interiors because some of those interiors would have been great. And you have City Hall, the municipal building, which has a great interior. Still. So some of those have survived, but at least if, if at least you can save the facade and a lot of the buildings that are lost now were torn down at a time before that whole concept of saving the facade and maybe building a skyscraper inside of it or coming out of it. And I wish they maybe, for instance, like that, but just west of the old state house where they had insurance companies, the Phoenix Bank. There was a nice row there that was destroyed in the 60s to build a skyscraper. And maybe if they had waited a decade or two to tear all that down, they might have decided to preserve some of that, you know, to keep the sense of the street level. That's such a 19, it's the 1970s, right? That triple seven building. Yeah. Yeah, it's not yeah, that was built in the 60s. And then the gold building was the 70s. And I did a video on Plaza, which is just a lot of concrete that, that actually had a whole German neighborhood there at one time. It's amazing. <laughs> the history of Front Street is really interesting too. Yes. And I, I really, I, it, one thing I have to do is figure out how to break up the videos because I don't want to do an hour long. I want to keep it reasonable with Front Street and Market Street and that whole East Side neighborhood. There's so many blocks. So I just said, well, I'll just try to break it up into sections and orient people because there is an area that's totally gone, but the streets are there. But all the buildings, for the most part, are different. And so there, it's really evoking a vanished world. All these businesses and all the immigrant communities, the Jewish businesses, the German, the Italian, yeah. the Chinese, all these neighborhoods that you would never imagine when you're walking through canyons of you know concrete and parking lots today, that all this, this stuff was going on. And I come across all kinds of interesting stories just going through the Hartford current you know, looking up addresses and businesses and I can there's so much and uh, a lot of it is it, it's it's interesting it covers everything from the rich people with the mansions down to the prohibition and people trying to have speakeasies and all the crime that was going on it's just everything a whole world that I can only scratch the surface of in these videos do you think that Hartford is an anomaly in the way that a lot of the buildings we're torn down, or do you think it's par for the course for any city of similar size and in, in history? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's a trend. You can see even areas like Boston and where they destroyed certain neighborhoods. I think it was all over. Hartford's maybe percentage-wise seems to have suffered much worse. You go to other cities, and sometimes there are at least neighborhoods downtown that still have stretches. It doesn't have anything, if you imagine like Soho or something in New York with all the cast iron buildings. Things survive here and there, and I'm glad they do, but you might have an old brownstone here from, you know, the middle of the 19th century, another building here, but it's very rare to get like a full streetscape. That's really the bigger, biggest loss. It's not even so much lamenting a particular building, but lamenting the fact that you've lost that sense of a street that, you know, was vibrant with all kinds of buildings. There's some example, like Lewis Street gives a little sense of early 19th century, but mostly it's just buildings in isolation. Yeah, it feels like when people complain about downtown Hartford not having a sense of life, a lot of that is because it was 
consciously destroyed and replaced with just concrete canyons, as you described it. Yeah. And when you go downtown today on the weekends, it's areas are just dead, you know, it, yeah. and I know they're doing a lot now. They're all this redevelopment. They have such high hopes and like around the baseball park and so on, they're going to really be, so I, I hope, and it's better to fill in all those parking lots with vibrant would be good. Yeah. yeah. Although the magic is still there though, um, especially on Park Street, mm -hmm. like you drive down Park Street and you really look at those buildings and you, you can see, even though it might have like a bodega sign or what have you, there are, there is that historic magic if you look close enough. Yeah, definitely. Park Street and Franklin Avenue still have that, that liveliness. It's, it's the downtown that really suffered yeah. the most where, you know, and that goes right through. It's, downtowns are more likely to, you know, constantly have change and want to build bigger and higher new whatever's stylish. That's why not hardly, nothing colonial survives except for the Butler McCook house and the old state house. So there's nothing, you know, left of buildings from the colonial period. And that just kept carrying through. And I suppose it's, it's but even the new stuff's historic. If you're into mid-century modern stuff, you've got part <laughs> of that. So here's a question for you. In all your research, you've looked at all these neighborhoods and these businesses. Are there any family stories or family businesses or just people that you learned about that you were like, whoa, that's so cool. I wish more people knew about that family or business. I felt that way a lot, particularly with the, uh, the old East Side Front Street. Market Street, going down State Street. When, when I mean that, more than ever, really evokes a world when there were families that ran, you know, hardware stores, the whole tobacco valley industry, and going through the Hartford Current. If you look through those archives and and look at some of these businesses, you realize that they the families were there. You get the whole story. And back in those days, in the newspaper, they were really interested in the history. They would go on for lengthy articles giving the history of a business, saying it was founded by a particular person who was an immigrant in the middle of the 19th century. When it grew. And they'll go into a lot of details. So it's obviously helpful for me because then I get the whole history of the business. And it's interesting, particularly interesting is right along State Street, where now there's the Phoenix Building, Constitution Plaza, to read about when that was a Chinese neighborhood and the first Chinese restaurant in Hartford was located in that vicinity. And then all the, the Jewish businesses and just wave after wave of different immigrant groups and all of the, the churches too. And I'm interested in the churches. I don't know in general, if people want to hear about every church, they might, might want to care about their particular church, but I'm fascinated by all of them, the whole, I could almost do a genealogy of the different churches and the different denominations that also reflects the history of all the different ethnic groups that came through and. All the, from the, obviously like St. Anthony's church for the Italians, but you also had Germans and that's true also in neighborhoods like Park, Frog Hollow and Park Street, where you have churches that were for French Canadians that, that are still. Is, that, is it true? That's why Frog Hollow is called Frog Hollow. Is it because of the French population that lived there? Or is it I don't, Jen, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure. Two things. It was because yeah, it was swampy and frogs. But then I also heard that because there was a big French Canadian population, it was like a racial, not. No, I, I, I don't know that I was, I, yeah, I don't know well, about that. I have to look into that. Yeah. We have a couple with some few more questions. So Derek, if you want to throw another at Dan. Yeah. So Dan, you've mentioned a couple of times that you worked for the Webb Dean Stevens house and 
I think our listeners are probably a little more familiar with the Mark Twain house and the, the Harriet Beecher Stowe house, yeah. but I don't need you to go into as much detail about those. But if you could just enlighten our listeners a little bit about the Webb Dean Stevens house and what makes it so special. Those are the museums. Actually, yeah, it's, it's the Webb Dean Stevens Museum. And it, it consists mainly of there's three houses. And what, and, but they also have a new museum and, you know, visitor center that was built, just completed a, a year or two ago. So they have a great new facility and they have a lot of collections and they have a garden and they have a barn that they rent out for weddings. So they've got a whole campus there. The core of it really are the, are the three houses, the Webb house, which was built in 1752 and George Washington stayed there during the revolutionary war. In fact, that is where he met with the French general Rochambeau Really, uh, when they were ge gearing up for the Battle of Yorktown. So they had a very important conference there in 1781. So one of the highlights of the tour is the bedroom that George Washington slept in, which has the original wallpaper that was on the wall when he was there. And then the, the next house is Silas Dean house, and he was a diplomat in, in the revolution. He went to France and... Even before Benjamin Franklin, he was there negotiating and getting aid for the rebels back in America. But then he helped Franklin to negotiate the treaty that brought the French into the war. And then the Stevens house is the third house. And as you go through a tour, you really get a history from the earliest colonial days. In fact, it goes right back to the 1600s because recent archaeological there has shown evidence of Palisade Wall that was built during the Pequot War when Wethersfield was in, first founded and, and the earliest days of English settlement there. So you go from that right through the, the revolutionary period. And then the Stevens house is really furnished with a lot of 19th century pieces. And then the Webb house, the one that Washington had stayed in, was in at the beginning of the 20th century, 1916, actually, it was bought by a man named Wallace Nutting, who was a major figure in the colonial revival movement. Hmm. And he was the first person to open the house as a museum. And so he was an important figure in early historic preservation, although he was in it as a businessman. So he, you know, he, he presented it as an attraction, but eventually it was bought by colonial dames. They're a group that owns it still today. And, and they later added the other two houses. So, you know, it's quite a campus. And also the guides at the uh, Webb Dean Stevens Museum also do the tours of the Budoff Williams house, which is also in Wethersfield, not far away. And that's a very early house from the early 1700s, but it's really in the style of homes from the 1600s. And it has a lot of furnishings from that period. Now, if you spend a day at the Webb Dean Stevens, you get, you know, a broad swath of history from the earliest days right through to, you know, the 20th century. And then with the exhibits and the garden, which is a colonial revival garden. And then, and just like Mark Twain and other museums, they have all sorts of events, talks and music performances. And it's quite a, quite an interesting place. Yeah, it sounds it. Have to come, I'll have to come out and check it out sometime. Same with our listeners. Definitely come down and check out the Webb Dean Stevens Museum. And if you haven't been to Weathersfield, that the street where it is on Main Street in Weathersfield, there's a lot to do there. The Weathersfield Historical Society is right across the street. There's popular spots like, uh, you know, you know Creamery for ice cream. Oh, yeah. Main Street Creamery yeah. and Comstock Ferry and Airport yeah. Market and a beautiful First oh, Church where I was actually baptized yeah. in. 
Yeah, yeah. My mom's from Wethersfield. And in, you can walk the mile down Main Street towards the Cove and it's full of historic buildings and you've got yeah. Broad Street Green. The uh, the burying ground is there with all the yeah. colonial stones. I'm going to do a video about that. That's one thing I love about Hartford is like you can go from, or greater Hartford rather, is you can go from Collinsville, Unionville, Farmington, Wethersfield and 15, 20 minutes be back downtown. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When I worked at the Mark Twain house, people would sometimes talk about want to know what else to do. And I would always try to encourage them to go to Weathersfield because they could spend a full day there enjoying all the attractions. Yeah, totally. I'm just curious about hearing more about what you love about Hartford and what keeps you here. Obviously, you've spent a lot of time researching all this stuff, but what is it about the city that you love and what are some of your favorite maybe attractions, buildings? places to go in the city. Obviously, I love the history, as I said, and, and I love the attractions. I, I, the Athenaeum, the Mark Twain House, the old State House, but also ones that maybe are not as well known, like the Isham Terry House or Butler McCook, but also just walking around. I My videos so far, I've been focusing so much on what's been destroyed. As you said, there's a lot of great, vibrant areas. And if you stand in Bushnell Park, that's an incredible historic space and with the tall buildings and and everything around you it, there's a lot of beautiful spots like that and and obviously i'm into restaurants too actually <laughs> all of that kind of thing i love some of the places like the the polish national home i don't know what's going on there right now i know they've been looking to sell the building or there's something but so just spots like that that combine history the history of the place but also are still going yeah. Yeah. And what do you think? And I know if someone asked me this, it would be a hard question to answer. So I apologize in advance. But what do you think makes Hartford unique? What is different about Hartford than Providence, Pittsburgh, Buffalo, what have you? What makes Hartford special? Well, that is hard because I, I right. think about there's a lot it's of the stories. Story. Yeah. But a lot of it's you could find a history of immigrants in every city. Has a history of buildings. Cities have that too. That's a good question. I don't know. And I think it's when you grow up in the city, you have that connection. For me, a lot of it is, is the community and the way people like you and others rally around the city and try to learn more about it. One thing I like in Connecticut, every town or city has their thing. All the various industries, each city, when you have things like, oh, the brass city or the whatever. Yeah. And I, I, I like the idea that even if the industry that it's named for is long gone, it's still, and Hartford had a lot. Hartford, a lot of the things like the silver city, maybe you think of Meriden and Wallingford silver, but doing research on Market Street, a lot of those silver companies were in Hartford as well. So Hartford had a link to that. And obviously the tobacco, that's a regional thing, but Hartford became a center for the the warehouses and for that flourishing the early 20th century of the the shade tobacco industry and so many things were manufactured and of course you got colt and so that that that's pretty distinctive to have sam colt so things like that and hartford the hartford parks the parks were the envy of a lot of cities yeah. back in the day and those are still around parks hope park and you know, obviously bushnell park elizabeth park all these parks are, are still with us so that was something that stood out even 100 years ago hartford was known for its parks system totally you want to ask the second one yeah dan if you were mayor emperor however you want to envision this for the day and uh, you could change one thing and one thing only about Hartford. What would you change? One thing only. I would change the highways. I think that you can go on about buildings, but it was those highways that really cut through and, and including, and part of that would be to put a, a bridge where local traffic could go 
across the Connecticut River and having to go onto the highway to cross, that was one of the worst decisions. And I don't even know what, what that might do, but to open up the city that way for local traffic would be amazing. And just to, I know that people go on and on forever about wanting to change the highway and it would be such a massive project. It would be so difficult. Yeah. Put more stuff, bring more stuff down the street level, put stuff underground. I don't know what it would take. That's one thing, particularly studying the old East side. And I know back in the old days, it flooded all the time and it was rough. They did have that connection to the river, which, you know, and I know Providence, for instance, has, has done a lot to, to get back and putting the park river underground, all these yeah. decisions that if they had just waited for another era to come, when maybe people were more interested in preserving and redeveloping what they had, rather than just burying everything or destroying everything, that would have been the better choice. Because if, if something is left, you could always restore it later at some point when, but once it's destroyed. Yeah. 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 It's, it would be so amazing though. Just, I love imagining a world where there is no I-84 and yeah. that is just land to be used by people. I-91 connecting us back to the river. And it destroyed because downtown was a lot bigger. It went further north and they're redeveloping some of that now, but. You know, that where the highways are, Main Street continued and it was lined with buildings all the way through. And there were movie theaters like the Strand, these movie palaces were there and all these businesses and all of that just got wiped out. So our last of the, like the three questions we ask everybody is hidden gems. And you said you, you like food. So maybe it's a restaurant hidden gem. We talked a lot about all the historic sites, but a Hartford hidden gem. Yeah, uh, yeah, because I already mentioned places like the Isham Terry House, right. some of that. I would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And some of it's like things like just places to to walk and explore. Think of Old Main Street in East Windsor Hill and East Windsor. That that street right there where the Wood Library is, and it's still got that rural feel a little bit. And it's right along the Connecticut River, but you have all these houses lined up, colonial and 19th century homes, things like that. There's, there's a lot of neighborhoods that still evoke the past. Yeah. All right, Dan, thank you so much for joining us today. Before we let you go, please promo yourself. As I mentioned, I had these two books, A Guide to Historic Hartford, Connecticut, and Vanish Downtown Hartford. And those are, they're available online. You can go to Amazon, Barnes and Noble. And I, I don't know if, the, you know, I, since the pandemic, I haven't, <laughs> I've been like a hermit, but I know the Mark Twain house used to stock them and the Webb Dean Stevens stocks them. So you can buy them and maybe some of the local. Walgreens on the corner of Prospect has like a historic Hartford book rack. And I've definitely yeah. your book there. So. Yeah. So it's available, but certainly online, you can get it. And. The websites, I have a website that's been around for over a decade now, Historic Buildings of Connecticut, mm -hmm. historicbuildingct.com. And that one really is focused on things that are still around all over Connecticut. I basically go around and take pictures and added as much to it. I used to do a post every day. Wow. For like a decade, I would do Woo! a building and then write a little bit of history. And that became a bit of a drag. And there's still some towns I haven't even gotten to. And there's so much more I could have. But there's thousands of buildings on there that you can read. Of course, uh, with a website that old, the old posts have so many dead links now. It's, just, it would, it's sure to go through. But yeah, and I take all the pictures myself, pretty much. People say, oh, do this building or do this town. And I, I'd have to go there in person because I like to, to make sure all the pictures there are my own. And, I, and as far as the YouTube goes... 
Now, there's the thing. The, the biggest problem I have with that was coming up with a name. And I still don't feel I've come up with a name because when I first started the channel, I, I just couldn't come up with something. And people suggested different. Nothing seemed really good or it was already taken by somebody else. And so I just put, oh, History with Dan was not the best idea because if you were to go to YouTube and put in History with Dan, it would all be hardcore history with Dan Carlin is all that would come up. That, so then I, I said, oh, I, this is a mess. So, I'm, so I put history with Dan Sterner. So at least it has my name. So I don't know what I'm going to do with that. The name could change at some point if I can come up with a good name or maybe I'll just keep that. But if you put in history with Dan Sterner and there are other Dan Sterner, there's a bunch of them, Daniel Sterner's, Dan Sterner's. There's now the channels haven't had a video in seven years and they're there, but they're there. But I guess you can repeat names on there, but history with Dan Sterner. If you search that, that should hopefully get you to it. Do you have a favorite video you've done? Ooh, I like them all. They, they're very, it's a lot, it's a lot, even though I, some of this stuff I've researched before, but putting all the images together, writing a script, doing all the new research and sourcing everything, it's a lot. So each one is like a labor of love, I guess you'd say. So it's hard to pick, but I feel some of the recent ones on the east, the old east side of Hartford, Front Street and all, I think I'm those I particularly like because I'm discovering all kinds of new things in addition to what I knew before. But then there's ones I, I wanted to, I do want to expand a little bit and do more videos about other things in Connecticut or whatever. So I hope to do that soon. And I had done a video about some houses that in Connecticut that were authors' homes that maybe no one's ever heard of. And one was like authors who wrote textbooks for children. And that video didn't do so well, but I thought that one was so good. But maybe the children's textbook authors was not the headline that that people wanted. But, but it related to Hartford too, because one of the one of the textbook writers wrote geography books back in the 19th century. And he was a, a teacher at a school on Market Street in Hartford. And so there was a Hartford connection there, but yeah, you never know what, what'll do well. And, and, and I'm still learning all the YouTube and there's so much stuff with algorithms with YouTube, figuring out what will do well. I, I posted one video on Saturday and I think that's not a good day to post on. So I try to do them at the end of the week, but so I'm still learning stuff as I go. Heard that. Any? Yeah. Thank you so Thanks. much. Yeah. Dan, yeah. This has been phenomenal. Welcome. We had such a pleasure today. Thanks. Yeah, of course. Of course. We look forward to maybe in the next book, the yeah. next videos. Can't wait to see what you come out with. Right, thanks. <laughs> thanks for listening to The Heartbeat with your hosts, Cam and D-Rock. We hope you enjoyed Derek and Ali's interview today with historian Dan Sterner. Be sure to check out Dan's YouTube series, which will be linked in the show notes. Join the guys next week for the season finale when they are joined by guest host Allison Beavers and DJ Dashcam to talk about his music his influences, and much more. That's right, this season goes to 11. As always, you can head over to theheartbeatct.com to sign up for the email list, as well as check out all the links and resources in the show notes. Be sure to like and subscribe, and leave a review as well wherever you're listening to this. It goes a long way towards helping people discover the show. Thank you to Ali Kaif for co-hosting, to Dan Sterner for joining us, and to Javan Carlo for writing our theme music. That's all for this episode, folks. See you next week on The Heartbeat.